The next day, we started sending out messages, putting press statements and advertisements into the newspapers, asking women, would they come to a meeting to discuss the possibility of us coming together as a coalition? And it was the most unbelievable meeting. Hundreds of women turned up, and that night we agreed that we would form a coalition. Women started nominating themselves, and by the end of the evening, we had 70 candidates running in the election. That was peace activist Monica McWilliams. In 1998, she made history as one of two female negotiators and signatories to the Good Friday Agreement that helped end 30 years of conflict in Northern Ireland. I'm Alain Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Monica McWilliams has been honored across the globe for her role as co-founder of the Northern Ireland Women's Coalition a movement that bridged political divides and focused on inclusion, equality, and human rights to bring about peace. Her accomplishments are worth recalling today as decisions on Brexit are being made in order to ensure that it doesn't undermine the 1998 Good Friday Agreement. Back in the 1990s, Monica had to fight for a seat at the Northern Ireland Peace Table As one of only two women in the room, she tells us what they had to endure to make their voices heard for peace. I conducted this interview with Monica McWilliams as part of the Seeking Peace podcast for the Georgetown Institute for Women, Peace, and Security. Listen and learn why Monica McWilliams is one of Seneca's 100 women to hear. So my first memory is walking with my father and my brothers and my sisters um, on those marches and being told that they were illegal, that our demands for the right to vote, the right to have a job, and the right to social housing were illegitimate demands and that the marches were illegal. And so there was a great deal of reaction, which was stupid on the part of the state who employed the army and CS gas and rubber bullets were fired at us even though we were walking on a beach. I never dreamed that that would then lead into a 30-year violent war. It could have been resolved peacefully. How did your decision or desire to be a part of ending that conflict begin to take shape? It's a good question because it was asked of myself and the other women who formed the Women's Coalition, where did you come from? As if we'd fallen out of the sky. (laughs) And we had to remind those who were posing this question that we'd been around for 30 years. We'd stood at too many graves. And I myself had a boyfriend murdered in 1974. And I remember the shock and the pain and the trauma. And by this stage, there were thousands dead. And we said, this has to stop. We, we, we knew nothing else. The killing climaxed a day of violence, including a bomb at Belfast's luxury Europa Hotel. While the wreckage of the Europa was being cleared, two bombs were found outside the city hall. Rifle shots failed to detonate them, and one finally exploded. Violence became the norm. It was peace that was strange. 
And so the extraordinary moment happened of finally ceasefires in 1994, and that was opening up a window. And we, as ordinary women, fell into extraordinary times. When the peace talks were declared after the ceasefires, we asked the question, where are the women? Um, because we knew that as activists, we had existed. And had we not been around, the war would have been much worse. It was neighbour on neighbour. It was community against community. But it was the women who were the peace builders from the ground up. <clears throat> we are committed to an elective process leading to all party negotiations without further preconditions. By 1996, the all-party talks were finally set. Those negotiations will start on the 10th of June. There is no place for violence. And there were going to be elections to determine the political parties that would be participating. At that point, how did the women come together to win a seat at the peace table? It was a very spontaneous decision. We actually had not initially decided to stand for election, but we decided that we would put it up to the other parties to see if they would put women in their delegations. And they didn't take that issue seriously. And so two of us, Avla Kalmari and myself, sat down one night and we said, is it possible that this could happen? The next day we started sending out messages, putting press statements and advertisements into the newspapers, asking women, would they come to a meeting to discuss the possibility of us coming together as a coalition? And it was the most unbelievable meeting. Hundreds of women turned up. And there were different voices. Some said, you'll have blood on your hands if you go for election. That's not what women are known for. The opposite voices in the room said, it's time to wave goodbye to dinosaurs. Let's do it. And those voices won out. And that night we agreed that we would form a coalition Women started nominating themselves, and by the end of the evening, we had 70 candidates running in the election. I think you uh, then had your slogan that was repeated, wave goodbye to the dinosaurs. It wasn't the most... Yeah, it, the slogan, wave goodbye to dinosaurs, was very creative, but it wasn't the most popular. <laughs> when we put up the posters with this on it, the reaction from the leaders of the other parties was uh, vitriolic. They said, how dare you call us a dinosaur? And <laughs> the women said, is your name on that poster? And they said, no, it's not. Well, why are you self-identifying as a dinosaur? And then we would walk away laughing. <laughs> now, I know there were a, a minimum number of votes that were required for any of the parties to make it to the table. When did you realize that you had reached a point uh, where you would make it to the talks? Well, it was a very different process. The threshold was not huge, and it was 10,000 votes, and we sat down at the table and worked it out that we probably could reach that threshold, knowing that we had the networks in place. So we need to focus on local media and on our local neighbourhoods, and that's what the women did. They formed themselves into teams in every single county and community, and we sent them out around the doors. Thanks very much. Do you know who I am? That's how you get votes. Um, and on the day of the count, we stood nervously because we did not think in a million years that we were going to be one of the 10 parties. 
and that night we were declared as one of the parties going to the talks. Also at the talks will be the Women's Coalition, putting forward a new non-sectarian voice for constructive and inclusive dialogue. We were in total shock. Oh, we're absolutely delighted. I mean, six weeks ago we had no fax machines, no telephones, no offices. So we've come from nowhere and we're delighted today to have been getting a mandate to send us into those talks. What was it like in those negotiations? How were the women treated? Well, first... In the negotiations, there's a lot of venting. And a good part of the two years was about people shouting at each other and not really listening. Um, But maybe you have to do that. We felt like outsiders in the first year. We were received a great deal of insults. Uh, Go home to the kitchen. Um, Go and breed for the country. Have babies, which is what you're supposed to do. And on and on it went, and the public were shocked that these men could behave so badly towards two women who had been elected to these seats. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. You were also playing a, a mediating or, or a refereeing role between some of the um, uh, male representatives in the process and those who were excluded. What we did was really important in negotiations. You need to know what the others around the table are thinking. When they found out that we were talking to Sinn Féin, who had been locked out during the first year because they hadn't reinstated their ceasefire, and we were back-channeling which is what good negotiators and facilitators and mediators ought to be doing, and it's now accepted that it is something that you should do in a peace process. It was absolutely shocking. You women are in love with murderers. You're just Sinn Féin in skirts. And again, these labels came firing across the table. But we kept up that uh, back-channeling and convinced that party that they should reinstate a ceasefire and get into the room because their ghost was rattling around in the room and we were spending time talking about them and they weren't even in the room. We said, look, we're strangers here. We didn't grow up alongside each other. We might have grown up amongst each other, but we don't know each other. And at this table, we need to learn to know each other if we're going to find out what our interests are. So we started inviting the Loyalist parties to our homes on Friday night for dinner and we got to know them very well. These human elements that go on in a process like this are so important to the ultimate outcome, as you've just vividly described. One of the things that was supporting the process for peace in Northern Ireland was the engagement and leadership of the United Kingdom, Ireland, and the United States. President Clinton would invite the Northern Irish political parties to come to the White House on St. Patrick's Day. The male representatives of the various parties held uh, separate meetings with the president in the Oval Office. What happened with the Women's Coalition? Well, they forgot about us, and someone realized that they had messed up. Um, I think they approached you, Milan, in your role um, as uh, First Lady's Chief of Staff at that stage and asked permission if we could speak to the First Lady somehow the First Lady understood exactly what I was talking about. And she asked, what can I do for you? 
And I said, well, are you going to speak tonight? And she said, well, yes, I'll be introducing the president. And I said, it would be good if the men in the room who come from Northern Ireland can hear your voice. Thank you so much. And I want to formally, on behalf of uh, the president and myself, welcome all of you here this evening. She stood up that night and there was a hush in the room. And she spoke about the role of women in conflicts and the role of women in Northern Ireland and in Ireland and the need to have women involved in these processes. A special word of appreciation to all the women in Ireland and Northern Ireland who have worked for peace and worked to bring about reconciliation over so many years. Men's eyes just opened up and some of their mouths fell open because they hadn't expected this. And I could feel their eyes on me and Pearl, as if we had somehow bribed the First Lady and they came up afterwards and said, how did that happen? And I said, well, while you men were with the President of the United States, we were with the First Lady and um, we just had a chat, as women always do all over the world. And this is the outcome. And boy, did they look disappointed. And that meeting with yourself and the First Lady changed everything. It gave me a great deal of confidence. And when we came back, the attitude most definitely towards us did change. So in April of 1998, finally, the Good Friday Agreement is signed. The people in Northern Ireland have always asked and said, if only the politicians would sit down together and talk and reach an agreement. Today, we have done it. So you went from being Monica the peace negotiator to Monica the politician, running for a seat uh, on the Women's Coalition Party label in the uh, Northern Irish Assembly. What did you want to achieve in now taking up the prospect of elective office? Well, it was a baptism of fire because that was the referendum, and I think only a matter of weeks later followed the Assembly election. The first assembly was difficult because it was the first attempt to implement the what we had agreed. So we spent more time talking about the differences in terms of that agreement than we did on bread and butter issues. Sometimes it was a slow process, but we also were the first party, the Women's Coalition, to put forward a private member's bill, which was to recognise the need for children's rights to be protected. And eventually that also became law. And we ourselves, to be honest, Milan, had said that we had never wanted to be a long-term established party. That was not our intention. And in fact, after the two years of the peace agreement, we were all hoping to be able to go back to our own lives, to do our day jobs, to do what we found very productive in our lives. But to be part of the implementation, you had to be part of that first assembly. So I ran. How did all of this change, Monica McWilliams? Well, it's you do not come through these processes and remain the same person. Um, I hope I'm a lot wiser from having met so many different people who think differently, but also have shown me that there are different ways of looking at a problem. And I hope I have more patience than I once did, because you need a great deal of it if you're going to be in these processes. But I also have to say that I'm a better person for having been part of it. We need more role models 
if a young woman doesn't see a woman in that role, she cannot begin to expect that she can do that job, and she can. But once she sees a woman doing it, she realizes I could do that too. Monica, I'm so glad you mentioned those two words, role model, because that's indeed what you have been and continue to be. So thank you, Monica McWilliams, for all that you've done and continue to do. It is always a delight and a learning experience to talk to Monica McWilliams. Here are three things I took away from that conversation. First, if you're going to negotiate peace, you need to have a thick skin. At the beginning of the Northern Ireland talks, Monica and the other woman negotiator were told to go back to the kitchen, to stay at home and have babies. However, they remained at the peace table anyway and that made all the difference. Second, finding common ground is a crucial step in any discussion. As Monica says, we need to learn to know each other if we're going to find out what our interests are. Third, Monica McWilliams reminds us once again why women's voices need to be part of any peace process. Women have accomplished amazing things in war-torn countries ranging from Liberia to Colombia. Let's make sure that they have a chance to use their skills wherever conflicts need to be resolved. Tune in next Tuesday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day.